to another episode of Sean Ned's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we are bringing you the baseball history. That's right. We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be on the mound throwing them. See, I did it smoothly that time. You did. I didn't have to think about it. You did. And I was about to say, you're on the hill today. So uh, I'm on the hill. I'm going to be, you know, sitting back and and, uh, seeing what you have for us. Yes, you're you're strapping on the tools of ignorance and uh, listening to me there. But uh, people listening to us out there... Uh, thank you for listening and uh, wherever you found us on your platforms whether it's Spotify, uh, Apple Music Amazon Music, Podbean wherever, give us a rating or review uh, we'd really appreciate it. Gives a bit of uh, a bump there. And uh, again, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks so much. Anything that you can do to help us helps. And we also want to give a shout out to our favorite brewery, and that is Two Loons Brewing. Uh, definitely grab their IPA, grab their lager. Brick and mortar coming soon. Uh, very exciting. Check them out at twoloonsbrewing.com. And of course, uh, please be of legal drinking age and enjoy responsibly. That's right. That's right. Also, before we get going, you can find us on uh, the, the, the Twitter X machine uh, at doing baseball on Instagram at doing dot baseball as well as TikTok. Hopefully we'll be doing a little bit more social media as the off season's going and we're a little less busy here. Mm-hmm. Etsy, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's it. What, what do you yeah, got for it. us today? Well, today, Sean, uh, I, I, we talked about it before we turned the mics on a little bit, but I had to sort of pivot this story a little bit. I had something else lined up because we were, we're nearing episode 100. That's right. This is episode 99. Yep. So we kind of got a little bit out of order from my original planning. But anyway, uh, I had another story lined up, and I had to, uh, as they say, pivot and kind of change it up here I've got like a just just a, a a regular old biography for you, okay. you know. And as as with the ones that you kind of have to throw uh, together quickly, you know, uh, Saber the Saber bios are are a great resource for that. So just quick shout out to the Society for American Baseball Research, mm-hmm. uh, Saber.org, and uh, just a quick thanks to uh, Paul Hoffman for doing most of the the research for me okay. on this one that I quickly had to throw together so it was basically you know I'm I'm kind of almost just paraphrasing yes. the article uh altogether but oh yeah well we appreciate that and definitely definitely I I didn't realize we had a schedule but yeah you know, anytime you have to uh you have to pivot um <laughs> It can be, uh, it can be, yeah, it can be a little stressful well, when you, you know, have a you deadline. Just, you want to plan, you want to plan something special around number one hundred. So it's, not, I don't, we don't really have a schedule. But, well, I mean, this is the know. Gretzky episode, so yeah, yeah, it, it I, should be a great one. I, I will say too, I did have a, a story lined up that could have sort of uh, coincided with Wayne Gretzky, but weird. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, fi- I figured that one would take me too much time to to do with any sort of. Uh, good depth so anyway let's get started let's on just the, do it let's just get it wind so, her june, up june 16th 1948 ron right. lafleur is born in detroit oh i've heard this name before ron lafleur ron lafleur is born in detroit in the great state of michigan to his parents john and georgia lafleur 
John was born in Mississippi and as a young child moved with his family to Memphis, Tennessee. 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 Not Tennessee. Tennessee. Just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> when he met Georgia, where he met Georgia. They eventually married and lived in Memphis until 1943 when they headed north for Detroit in search of better opportunity. Okay. The couple had four sons, Ronald being the third born, and John worked to support his family in the auto industry at one of Detroit's many manufacturing facilities, but he struggled heavily with alcoholism and was unable to hold down a job steadily. And it's in fact Georgia who is credited with holding things together with her work as a nurse's aide. The LaFleurs lived on the east side of Detroit, which was a working class neighborhood that was rife with crime and prostitution, which influenced Ron to wander down a path of drug use, skipping school, and an array of petty crimes. LaFleur recalled his days as a young thief in his autobiography, Quote, stealing was my specialty. As far back as I can remember, I was stealing things and getting away with it. Every time I went into a store, I would steal something. Even if it was just a rubber ball or one of those 10-cent miniature pies. Just to show the other kids I could do it. Sometimes I would steal for the thrill of it. I got away with so much stuff that I began to believe I couldn't get caught. Usually everything I did was right out in the open too. I thought I was the invisible man. <laughs> he's brazen he's a he's a petty criminal and he's just uh yeah you know i also enjoy that you put criminality and prostitution as two separate things good that's very progressive of you <laughs> i didn't do that <laughs> you're like well either way i i agree but yeah yes. anyway uh he dropped out of school and spent many nights breaking into the stroh's brewery on gratiot avenue stealing beer and getting drunk with friends he was also introduced to shooting heroin oh. in a neighborhood shooting gallery. What? Oh! Like, I, I guess that's just where, I assume that's where just people go to hang out and <laughs> shoot up. Yeah, we're just going to shoot up and then shoot some guns and shoot up <laughs> yeah. more and I mean, then more guns. It's very possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that escalated quickly. Yeah. So as the years went by and Ron grew older, he became more brazen with his crimes, likely to feed his addiction. As a teenager, he spent 19 months in reform schools run by the state, but it didn't set him straight because one night in January of 1970, he and two friends got into the heroin. <laughs> As you do. As you do. <laughs> and while coming down, they decided that they would rob the bar across from the Chrysler stamping plant on Mack Avenue. I got a better idea. Let's have, <laughs> yeah, Let's just have a nap. Let's just have a nap. Surprised they were able to. Well, I guess they were coming down. So is this technically, is that waking up, technically? I, I've never done heroin. I've never so. done heroin. Anybody <laughs> out there, you want to give us some yeah. info? Let us know. Send us a DM <laughs> at doing baseball. The men were eventually caught and charged. LaFleur held the rifle the three used to commit the robbery, and his conviction led to a 5 to 15 year sentence in prison and he entered Jackson State Prison on April 28th, 1970. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. That's, so the path, I was expecting like a, a turnaround before we got to this point. No. Nope. But he's in jail. He's in jail. April 28th, 1970. During his first year as an inmate in the prison, LaFleur was resistant to the more regimented environment of the penitentiary. He rejected the work assignments and often came up against the authority of the guards, which earned him a few long stays in solitary confinement. Needless to say, the adjustment to prison life was quite tough for Ron. 
It was not until his later days of incarceration that he began to understand the concept of time off for good behavior. So eventually he does. He does turn it around. He just like, ah, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So while serving out his time in Jackson, LaFleur had his first experience with organized baseball. All so right. he like never played in school. He dropped out of high school. Yeah. He never played back then. He was just like uh, just a street kid, basically. Yeah, I, I always, I've come across this name before, and I know there's a story to this, but I, I had no idea it was like, yeah, I, I, I expected there to be like, then he got to high school and the baseball coach took him under his wing. And <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, didn't happen. No, Ron recalled playing his first real baseball game on May 18th, 1971, when he started in left field for the Jackson State Prison team. Okay. And according to himself, he hit 469 for the year in 1971. Okay. And 569 in 1972. <laughs> he's just he's just making that up just to say. <laughs> well, he wrote it in his autobiography with Jim Hawkins. Okay, well, no, in, no, in, but I'm just saying. 1978. The odds of having 69 in both years. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, also, I'm sure the prison league, like the guy keeping the stats there, was not a major league official uh, score. No, no. Was that a hit, Jim? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> now, these are obviously astounding numbers for somebody in a penal league. It was obvious that LaFleur stood out amongst the group of intramural ballplayers. Quote, I could hit the ball a long way, and I could run. Other than that, I didn't know what I was doing, Ron said. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, under most circumstances, this would fly completely under the radar of professional baseball. Yeah. Right? I'm sure there's been good... Uh, players in, yeah. on the prison yard. Before. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a heavily scouted league. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say. <laughs> uh, but luckily for Ron, he had struck up a friendship with an inmate named Jimmy Corrala. Okay. Who was in for extortion, serving a four to twenty year sentence. That is oh, <laughs> a I, I thought his five to fifteen was bad. That is just you'll get out anywhere from like four to like two decades. Yeah, it's such a range. <laughs> Like, why? So, anyway, he's uh, friends with this Kerala guy. And why does this matter? You see, Kerala was a longtime friend of a man named Jimmy Butsikaris. <laughs> How do you spell that I, I name? B U T S I C A R I S. Okay. Who was co owner to one of Detroit's more popular watering holes, the Lindell Athletic Club. I. How does this get to baseball? I was like, all right. <laughs> Believing LaFleur possessed professional baseball talent, Kerala reached out to Butsakaris because Kerala knew that the athletic club was a bar frequented by many of Detroit's sports celebrities. Okay, still. Imagine the. Go talk to him. Tell him I got a, a guy in here that held up a bar while I'm high on heroin that can hit 469. <laughs> Hang on. This is a deeper connection, my okay, friend. Okay, go. So Butsakaris was your classic saloon keeper who had many acquaintances at the Black Tie Affairs and also in the dives of the Motor City. He knew Tiger's manager, Billy Martin, quite well. And in fact, they considered one another great friends. Ah. So much, in fact, that Butsakaris was the best man at Billy Martin's wedding. Oh, okay. So they're like best friends. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, and Martin loves to drink, so he's got to be there quite a bit. Yeah, I think, in, I forget who it was in previous episodes, we've been like, and it turned out he was Connie Mack's neighbor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. there's just these random yeah. 
connections that get some of these guys their chances. Yeah. So this semi-underworld network, Martin... Uh, so thanks to this semi-underworld uh, semi network, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say, yes. Martin visited Jackson State Prison on May 23rd, 1973, and talked with LaFleur and told him to come try out for the Tigers during a weekend furlough in June, which Martin helped him obtain. Holy shit. So Martin, I guess, went to the warden and was like, hey man. This guy's, this, guy's, this guy's pretty good. I think we could use him on the Tigers, and we're trying to rebuild. So <laughs> <laughs> He's the perfect guy. We can just pay him and smack as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. LaFleur was quoted in the Daily Reporter of Dover, Ohio, on July 3rd, 1973. Quote, I talked to Mr. Martin, and he said, come out to Tiger Stadium for a tryout when I was home on a furlough pass. Martin spoke of Ron's performance. Quote, he was hitting balls into the upper deck the day we were we had him at Tiger Stadium. Whether he can hit or not on a regular basis is the only question. So he's saying he's he's got the talent. It's just whether he can apply it against yes major league other opposing talent. Yeah. Not yeah. not someone serving five to seven for and, for assault. And that's that's far is it not like i i can't upper deck I, upper deck at tiger stadium no. well i'm actually thinking the opposite edzy my recollection of tiger i know stadium, it overhung the field but that's what i mean like the upper deck is like you know it it might not be as impressive as say like upper deck and mm. yeah because we were only what like 10 or 11 when they moved to yeah yeah anyway we're getting sidetracked here. but we are getting sidetracked but i think it is important to kind of say like yeah he's hitting the ball far but it's not you know upper deck at I don't know. Um, the Coliseum. The Coliseum. Yeah. 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 It's 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 a little bit. So he's, he's got major league power. At the <laughs> very least, he's got major league power. Yes. So uh, after this little tryout, LaFleur was released from prison July 2nd, 1973. Okay. He so only served, what, like two and a half years of that sentence, maybe? And he was a dick he was for five most to 15. Of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you got to think his baseball ability, like Billy Martin, as you said, oh, going pulled to... the strings for sure. That's fucking yeah, wild. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> and uh, so released from prison July 2nd, 1973, and immediately signed a contract with the Tigers that paid him a $5,000 bonus and $500 per month for the remainder of the 1973 season. That is uh, I mean, it's pretty not, good it's for great, getting out of prison. Like, just, yeah, here's five grand and... 500 bucks Imagine for next talking three to your months. parole officer. Okay, well, you got a job lined up. You could be a line cook. You could be work a fryer. No, like, nah, I'm, I'm going to play left field for the Tigers. <laughs> it's all good. You can talk to Billy. Yeah. Who? Billy Martin. He's uh, my bud. He's going to play for Just shit face. Uh, okay, so he was sent to Iowa, assigned to the Clifton Pi Clinton pilots of the Class A Midwest League. But once again, how are you able to leave the state? You, I mean, this is there has to be strings pulled. Like maybe the 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 probation system doesn't work the same as my like Hollywood version of it. Yeah, I, but I, like he's able. Like it's not like he just went and played for the Tigers, as you said. Like he's they're like, okay, you're gonna go. This convicted. Felon is gonna go. <laughs> well, someone in the story has the same questions as you, Sean. Oh, I just great. get to uh, it here. LaFleur right, began right. his transition from prisoner to professional under the watchful eye of pilot's manager, old pack of smokes, Jim Leland. I love it. Yeah. So Leland said, 
in LaFleur's autobio of having a parolee on the team. Quote, when I was told I was get going to get him, frankly, I didn't know what to expect. I presumed you could have all sorts of problems with a kid on parole. Could he cross state lines with the ball club? Yeah. Did I have to keep him out of bars and pool halls? Yeah. What happened if a ball, a brawl broke out on the field and he piled on? Yeah. Leland, the smart guy. Yeah, great, great questions there, uh, Jimmy. Uh, but Jimmy said, quote, as it turned out, I didn't have any problems with Ron at all. I guess the prison experience must have helped him him rather than hurt well i mean it got him signed to the tigers so yeah, <laughs> yeah. i think it helped <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the tigers obviously weren't worried uh as they had experience with prison yard players in the past actually because tigers pinch hitter gates brown okay had also been discovered playing in prison well he's just as be, a little uh, side note there. adding him to that list right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh i should i should meant i don't have i I'm just going to quickly mention, I have, uh, well, I don't have it. My grandmother okay. has a piece of memorabilia mm -hmm. from the Tigers because my uh, my great-grandfather had a friend that was, like, loosely connected to the to the Tigers. Yeah, um, and, and Toronto used to be Tigers territory. Yes, that's that's true. Before the Blue Jays. Um, but he, he has this ball that's signed by, like, several players from, like, a 70s team. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing research on this story, I just started to wonder if maybe Ron LaFleur's name is possibly on this ball. Are you telling me you've checked? No, I haven't checked. I should <laughs> go and find out. <laughs> well, we'll post that in the future. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway, back to the story. The uh, yeah. LaFleur appeared in 32 games for Clinton and finished the year with a 277 average, one home run, eight RBIs, and two stolen bases, helping the Pilots win the Midwest League. LaFleur described his first experience at the professional level. Quote, I was scared at the plate. I'll admit it. In prison, I saw curveballs only once in a great while, but in the minor leagues, I saw hundreds of them. Most of them weren't even good curveballs, but they sure fooled me. <laughs> I'd be standing at the plate, the pitcher would throw the ball hard and inside, and I'd jump out of the way thinking it was a fastball, and the umpire would call it a strike. We played mostly night games at Clinton, and I had never played under the lights. They had u other uses for the floodlights in Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what I thought. You know, prison ball is not... No, know. it's like an afternoon thing, and then they send you back to the cells. At well, night. And, and, like, what's the... Like, the pitching has to be just, you know, guys just trying to throw strikes, as opposed to, as he's describing, guys that have mastered off-speed stuff. Yes, yeah. Okay, so for the 1974 season... LaFleur was assigned to the Class A Lakeland Tigers of the Florida State League. So I'm, su I'm, I'm assuming that one's low A and one's high A. Yep. So he's in high A. In 93 games, he batted a team-high 339 and swiped 42 bases, winning player of the month for May. On July 22nd, he was called up to the trip to AAA with the Evansville Triplets, but got into only nine games with the Tigers' top farm club, hitting a modest 235 before he was promoted even further to the big leagues due to a broken hand suffered by Tigers center fielder Mickey Stanley. Wow. Now your dog is going nuts. He's getting wound up. He's getting the bone out here. Uh, <laughs> so big leagues. Yeah, so he's up there because Stanley got hurt. He's so, in it. Yeah, so LaFleur headed for Milwaukee 
to join the basement-dwelling Tigers against the Brewers on August 1, 1974, his Major League debut. LaFleur started in center field that day and went 0-4 with three strikeouts. Kind of typical. Well, I mean, that is a huge well, really. jump, right? Yeah. When do you play, 11 games in AAA? Nine. Nine. Nine games. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day he got his first Major League hit, though, a ninth-inning single off Clyde Wright. He also stole the first two bases of his career. So, And then 10 days later, on August 12th, LaFleur hit his first Major League home run, a two-run shot to right field off Kansas City Royals' Nelson Bryles. To wrap the season, LaFleur started 59 of the Tigers' final 60 games and finished with a 260 average, two home runs, 13 RBIs, and 23 stolen bases, but on the defensive side of the ball, he was a huge liability compared to the dependable Stanley, who was a four-time gold glover. He committed four, uh, 11 errors. What? And, yeah, 11 errors and finished with a 935 fielding percentage. So, that's a lot of errors in two months. Yes. As a major league outfielder. But the Tigers still had hope for the former inmate. Well, I mean, you got to give him a little more rope, right? Like, you got to... He's barely... What is he? He's that's his his second year in professional baseball. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I yeah I mean, yeah. Either way. So he's, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope there. And 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 I also should mention too that if there ever was a time for the Tigers to exercise some patience, this was the one, because at this time the Tigers were entering a phase of rebuilding, as we kind of mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. looking to replace an aging venter, veteran core, like Al. K-Line retired at the end of that season, and Jim Northrop was sold to Montreal that August, and uh, Willie Horton was on the decline. And Yeah, you don't st- really hear much about the Tigers of the late 70s for a reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so in 75, LaFleur started the season quite well. He was hitting 289 with seven home runs, 28 RBIs, and 25 stolen bases at the All-Star break. But the second half of the season, Ron suffered through a slump that tested both his confidence and the patience of the management. For the second half, he hit a paltry 206 with one home run, nine RBIs, and three stolen bases. He did raise his fielding percentage to 973, however, if you want to look at it a little positive. A little positive. I'm sure the Tigers' management were having their doubts as to whether LaFleur was a true major leaguer or not. But over the next four years, LaFleur would take his game to a level that no one anticipated, proving all the doubters wrong. Fuck. This, I, okay. I was not even expecting that. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work he, out. He's going to fizzle out. Yeah. And <laughs> even still, if he fizzles out, it's still a great story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What the fuck did... So, so wh- how, what was his first half again? How many home runs did he hit? Seven. Seven. So he's, he's, he's not a huge the, power guy, but... He, he's fast. Yes. He's the center fielder of the late 70s, early 80s. So, yes. Yeah, they're not looking for the power, but he's got it. But he's more, you know, high average. But, like, that was an awful second half to the season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell me what happens. All right. So, Ron broke out in 1976. Okay. And started the year with a career high 30 game hitting streak. He collected 51 hits and batted 392 all while grieving the death of his younger brother, Gerald, who had been murdered in late April. Jesus Yeah. Christ. Okay. 
From the Ironwood Daily Globe, April 24, 1976, quote, Police questioned six men Friday in the shooting death of Gerald LaFleur, the 26-year-old brother of Detroit Tigers player Ron LaFleur. Police reported that LaFleur was killed at about 2 a.m. Friday during an argument when he was shot once in the chest by a 50 caliber rifle. Police reported the shooting followed an argument over money. Ah. So that's, I mean, and, and he's living at home too, right? Like, I mean, not at home, but you know what I mean? Like, he's in Detroit. Gerald? No. Oh, oh, yes. Ron. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's not like he's even, like, removed from this. No, no. Right? He's ne- I mean, obviously. He may even go- still be living at home. Exactly. Man. That's um, what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm like, that's that's awful. And then to do that while going through that kind of tragedy and, and you know, not even being able to escape it, really, because you're at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's awful. Uh it was presumed that the argument over the money was due to Gerald's involvement in gang activity oh, and drug I use assume, or dealing. You know, who cares? It's still sad. Oh yeah, regardless. Uh, so, um, I, just a little side note as well. This was like the family had been like marred by tragedy already. Uh, this maybe like was contributed to like their dad's alcoholism. I mean, it's, I'm kind of surmising that on my own, but yeah. uh, it's I, I think this because Ron's older brother Harry had also tragically died in 1961 from oh. injuries that he sustained in the ring during his third pro boxing match. What the fuck? That's a that's a tidbit. Yeah. So oh, I mean that is so they had four sons and they've lost two of them. Yeah, I think I mentioned it later on that there's there was a TV m- movie made about Ron Lafleur's life. Oh my god! Called uh, oh, what's his name after the uh, autobiography? It was called Breakout: The Ron Lafleur <laughs> Story or something Breaking like that. Breaking out of jail. <laughs> and uh, it, it it's starring Lavar Burton as wow. Ron Lafleur, by the way. Wow. And uh, in in the movie, he's like there. He goes to the hospital when like his brother dies. So you're right about like him being close at home. And I also remember there's a scene where like the dad kind of like you know scolds uh ron for like being the bad son and then like is like lamenting the death of the boxing son you should have been in sports like your older brother harry (laughs) i had a good son once you know like he died in the ring defending his family honor (laughs) yeah oh god yeah so hey yeah wow okay i'm taking all of that in right now and now i'm just picturing lavar burton anytime you're talking about you should watch watch the movie it's not great but uh (laughs) it's interesting i'll say that i'm Uh, so happy you watched it um okay so getting back to ron he had his he had this 30 game hit streak amidst all this tragedy yes uh and the hot start earned him a trip to the midsummer classic Together with right fielder Rusty Staub and Mark Fidrich, they formed a trio of Tiger All-Stars who started the exhibition in Philadelphia. So they got three starters. That's, a, that's pretty good in the middle of a rebuild, honestly. Yeah, that, you know? that's fantastic. Uh, LaFleur collected a single in his first at bat, but in the end, the National League blew away the American League 7-1. to one. Yeah. Yeah, not really important. LaFleur continued his success at the dish after the All-Star break, but his season was brought to an abrupt conclusion on September 12th when he ruptured a tendon in his right knee. He finished with a 316 batting average and 58 stolen bases, which was second in the American League, by the way, in 135 games. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What year is that? 
1976. Okay, never mind. I was like, probably Ricky Henderson. I'm like, no, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. <laughs> not quite yet. Uh, so this late season injury made for a slow start in 1977, but he returned to form by mid-June, hitting 363 for the rest of the season. For the year, he appeared in 154 games and finished with a 325 average. Jeez. The Detroit chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America recognized LaFleur as Tiger of the Year for 1977. His 212 hits were good for second in the AL and included 30 doubles, 10 triples, and a career-high 16 home runs. LaFleur finished fifth in total bases with 310, finally showing some of the power the Tigers had seen from the beginning. Nice. So he's starting to... I mean, that's the thing. That's like I think that's the craziest part about this is like seeing somebody... like As, as somebody that sees has seen some kids like develop... It, it takes a long time to, like, hit with power. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he didn't have those, like, teenage years of development. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. He's a natural. He, but that's what I mean. But, like, it, it even as that natural talent, right, the power, it took years for the power to develop still. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he's still a great hitter by the sounds of it. But now he's just, like, adding to his prowess because he's able to really... You know, get on that back foot and smash it now. Yeah, and he's had, you know, two back-to-back amazing seasons, and 1978 was more of the same for Ron LaFleur. His batting average dipped a little to 299, but he still held, uh, still, yeah, 299, but still he (laughs) held the lead, or sorry, still he led the American League in both runs scored with 126 and stolen bases with 68 while driving in a personal best 62 runs. He had a 27-game hitting streak during the dog days of August, which cemented him into the Tigers' record book alongside Ty Cobb as the only Detroiters with multiple hit streaks of 25-plus games. All right. That's good company, man. That is great company. Very... I'm like, as I say, I'm picturing LeVar Burden... (laughs) <laughs> and and just 80s baseball just getting on base and stealing <laughs> yep, that's pretty much what it is buddy. once again his performance earned him the honor of being named tiger of the year making lafleur the first back-to-back winner since denny mclean won back-to-back cy young awards in 68 and 69 amazing dollop episode <laughs> yes lafleur was the talk of the town and even the country especially after america learned about his story from the cbs made for tv movie about his journey from prison to the big leagues one in a million starring a young lavar burton so you got the title wrong. yes i did <laughs> yes i, I did. just wanted you can't just yeah. get, you can't just you were just gonna go with that no 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 <laughs> i was like i was so gonna you correct lied to that. us that's you lied. The, that's the that's the uh autobiography's yes. title yes, yes. okay well, it was based on the autobiography uh, yeah, but yeah, they but, changed the name of the uh, movie yes that's a worse name it the, is. The, the autobiography had it right. Breakout would break have been out. way better. Breakout, yeah. of course. Like, you're breaking out in so many ways. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. How many people have been able to be like, I hit my way out of prison? <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Yeah. Uh, in 79, LaFleur continued his all-star caliber play. He hit 300 in 148 games, once again showing great durability. Like He had that one injury, but, you know, he only missed... Two weeks. Yeah, exactly. 
uh, in addition to his great play. Ron scored 110 runs, eclipsing the century mark for the third straight campaign. And he also stole 78 bases, good for second in the AL. Willie Wilson had 83. Uh, it looked as though the Tigers had found a pillar in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Now, I should mention that despite all the success that Ron LaFleur was having, the Tigers were not faring so well themselves. I mean, we've mentioned that they're in the middle of a rebuild, but, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty bad. They had finished in last place in both 74 and 75, and in 75 they were actually 57 and 102. Oof. That's yeah. pretty bad. 100 lost seasons are never, no. no matter who you are. Yeah. Uh, they were 5th of 6th in 76, 4th of 7 in 77. They got a new team, two new teams, yeah, two new teams, and then uh, dismally, uh, fifth of seven in 78 and 79. So, manager Les Moss just lasted 53 games into the 79 season, mm-hmm. and Sparky Anderson was brought in to replace him, yeah, because the Detroit management was like, We need less Moss <laughs> and more Spark. Oh, god. <laughs> shortly into his tenor anderson felt that lafleur was not going to fit into his clubhouse and was going to be a distraction because lafleur had started to enjoy some of the luxuries of being a baseball star the tigers decided that despite his success ron's career was headed in the wrong direction so on december 7th 1979 the tigers traded lafleur to the montreal expos for left-hander dan Shatzider. I'm going to assume you pronounced that last one wrong. I don't know. <laughs> but I love that Lafleur is going to Montreal. Yeah. Because if you don't speak French, his last name roughly translates to the flower. Yes. Yes, it does. So he's, he, he was caught off guard by the move, but apparently Lafleur enjoyed his new surroundings and declared in a 2013 Toronto Sun article by Jim Hawkins... That 1980 was, quote, the greatest year of my career. Damn right. His numbers at the plate continued to decline, but his speed on the base pass was as good as ever. LaFleur stole 97 bases to lead the National League, making him the first player in Major League history to lead both leagues in stolen bases. How many people can say they've led the Major Leagues in stolen bases and also done heroin? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. <laughs> I'm gonna guess more than one. <laughs> oh, all right, we're gonna we're gonna have to pull up we're, baseball we're, reference we're after this un- and make some calls. We're gonna have to uncover. <laughs> we're gonna have to do some research. I'm not saying like heavily. No, you know, no, just, but you're right. There could be there could I'm be more than say one. more than one. Okay, <laughs> it might be back in the 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The Expos finished 90-72, and 72, a single game behind the National League East winning and eventual World Series champion, Philadelphia Phillies. This was as close as Ron would get to postseason baseball. By this time, it was clear that LaFleur was burning the candle at both ends. There were allegations that he was snorting cocaine and shooting heroin frequently. And after just one season with the Expos, they let Ron leave to free agency. Oh, damn. Yeah, so you don't stick around there for too long. I was going to say, and there were allegations. <laughs> Asked about it, LaFleur said, do you want some heroin? <laughs> yeah. He didn't say that. <laughs> no, he did not. He did not say that. But, I mean, uh, I guess, no, this is uh, this is uh, 
I guess this is pre-Andre Dawson days in the in Montreal as well. So, <laughs> so I'm, I I will say I'm I'm gonna believe those rumors, Etsy. <laughs> maybe not maybe not the second part, but I'll I'll, I'll believe the uppers part. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's sign of the times, man. Yep, uh, exactly. So the White Sox took a chance on Lafleur and s- signed him to a multi-year deal worth nine million on Holy November 26, nineteen eighty. That's a, that's big money. That's big money at the time. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't look up how many years that was, but man, nine okay. million bucks, regardless. It, yeah, it wasn't like several years. I don't think. Yeah. No. You. Yeah. Okay. But his addiction problems grew worse, and his stint with Chicago was plagued by erratic behavior, disputes with management, including blasting Tony Larusa in the media for not living up to his promises of playing time to Lafleur and giving it to the rookie Rudy Law, and an arrest for drug and gun possession. Well, that'll do it. At the end of the 82 season. That'll do it. I'm trying to scroll past all of his other info so I don't see it. Oh, no. In two seasons with the Sox, he had played in just 173 games combined and hit just 267 with 64 stolen bases. So a far cry from yeah. the success he'd had in years 267. before. 267, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Not even average-wise, just like 64 he's, yeah, in he's, two years, you know. Yeah, he's trending downwards. Yes, uh, so LaFleur was released on April 2nd, 1983, and his nine-year major league career was over. After his playing days were done, LaFleur tried to find work with a major league team in some capacity, but had little to no success. He eventually found a job as a baggage handler for Eastern Airlines. Oh. Yeah. Damn, where did that nine mil go, bro? Where's Billy Martin at? Is he dead by 88? I, I don't love think it. so. Uh, it's just him, like, fine. You got a stolen base coach? Uh, I can do that. Uh, you got a cocaine guy? I could, yeah. I could be that. I could be the mascot. <laughs> yeah, that's In 19... What were yeah. you going to say? No, I'm like, that, that's the pirates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Yeah. In 1988, he attended the former Major League Baseball umpire, Joe Brinkman's umpiring school. Ooh. But LaFleur failed to finish high enough in his class to qualify for a minor league placement. Yeah. Yeah. LaFleur returned to the field when he joined many MLB stars of the 70s and 80s to play in the Senior Professional Baseball League for both the St. Petersburg Pelicans and the Brandonton Explorers during the league's inaugural 1989-90 season. We gotta find this. That's an episode. <laughs> yeah. Add it to the list. I've added, I got two more to yeah. this list. I was telling you before that. Senior like, Professional Baseball League. There you we go. We got a more in the chamber. <laughs> in, in 1990, he played for the Florida Tropics before the league disbanded. So a short little run there for the for the. I guys. would love to see fucking someone like pulling a quad at like fifty six, oh, trying to leg out a fucking stall, uh, infield. I single. wonder if like the bases were like shorter oh, distance or something. We know? need to. This we gotta to check be, this out. We we need to do an episode where we just watch footage of this. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> carrying on. In 1995, Lafleur managed the Newburgh Nighthawks of the Northeast League, which was an independent league, to a 28. 45 record so not so good there mm-hmm. on september 27th 1999 lafleur was arrested at the closing ceremonies of tiger stadium <laughs> how why for unpaid child support for his adult daughter and her mother 
Okay. <laughs> now coming out to the field, you know him as the speedster, <laughs> portrayed by LeVar Burton, yeah. one of the highlights of the late 70s Tigers, and on his way to jail, <laughs> That's pretty much how they could have done it, because apparently, I don't have a long write about this, but apparently what happened was they like came beforehand... <laughs> Because they knew he was going to be there. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, Ron, like, you're under arrest, bud. And he was like, can I go out there? I don't know if he asked them, but they, like, let him go. They let him go out there, and I then mean, they arrested him afterwards. At least, I mean, that's very kind of them. But mm. they, I mean, but, yeah, geez. I mean, oh. He was ultimately not jailed after agreeing to no. make the payments. I mean, obviously, yeah, you, you don't think that's uh, necessary. But, yeah, he needs to pay his child support. So he does. He does. In 2000... Yeah. LaFleur was named manager of the Cook County Cheetahs in the Frontier League. And in the sp- and that didn't work out, obviously. <laughs> and then in because in the spring of 2003, he was hired as manager of the Saskatoon Legends Ooh. in the Canadian Baseball League. Love it. But the league folded midway through its first season. Ah. So he's bouncing around all these indie leagues and stuff. Yeah, he's trying to find a home. Yes. He faced felony charges for possession of a controlled substance and was arrested again for non-payment of child support in May of 2007. Damn it, Ron. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Figure it out, Ron. Yeah, don't do the same thing twice. Yeah. He did the same thing twice. Yeah. He he defended himself. uh, Jeff Perlman quoting LaFleur in his April 17th, 2009 article for SI.com titled The Forgotten All-Star. Quote goes, quote, talk to people he said i'm a good guy i really am i've had problems but i haven't robbed anyone or killed anyone which yes you did yes you did you absolutely did yeah. i mean you didn't kill anybody but you definitely That's robbed started people. this whole thing you, Ron. you bragged about robbing people yeah. and you said you were invisible yeah. <laughs> i feel like i've been blackballed and it's not fair you give your life to baseball and when you need help baseball doesn't give back well, that's, that's kind of true. Yeah, it's yeah. very true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he continued to say, I need help. Yeah. In the summer of 2011, LaFleur lost his right leg to arteriovascular disease. Jeez. The result of starting to smoke at the age of nine and continuing for his whole life. Don't smoke. Yeah, don't smoke, kids. He now uses a prosthetic leg and resides in St. Petersburg, Florida with his wife, Emily. He got married in there. I don't know if that was before. <laughs> I don't know if that... I couldn't find anything about it. I don't know if that was before the child support stuff or After. if those were... Those obviously mustn't have been... Yeah. I mean, not obviously, but anyway, I'm not here to yeah, talk indeed. about his personal I, life. I'm not too worried that you didn't look up about his marriages, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, that. but that's that's absolutely... I mean, Yeah. I just can't imagine imagine being in like the Frontier League and that's your coach. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm an All Star, guys. Also, if you want to know, <laughs> don't ask about my leg. <laughs> don't ask about my leg. <laughs> Does anybody know how to tie someone off when you're shooting up? Because I can tell you. I can show you. We're gonna take a little vacation. <laughs> it reminds me, and I don't mean to get too personal. I I, I played for a guy once like that. That was like. I would shoot heroin before he... No, no, but he told me about his... his, He used to be a musician back around in the 60s and 70s. And he once... I I was was, I'm an 18-year-old kid. And I'm in this, like... (laughs) 
traveling baseball team. And the coach was like, yeah. I've done all the drugs. I've never shot anything, but I've tied people up before. Like they, and I'm like, cool, man. Thanks. Like that's really cool. I've just been involved. I've just I, been I involved. Done I've done all the other drugs. Just, just. I am paraphernalia. Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's, uh, it's, it's. I mean, that's quite a life. I mean, he's still alive, right? Yeah. No, we're still going here. We're not what? done. What? I yet. thought it was over. No, not quite. And from, I got another quote from him, and from the Saber article by Paul Hoffman that I mentioned at the beginning, which again quotes LaFleur's 1978 autobiography, Breakout. Breakout. From prison to the big leagues, which I didn't get that part right either. (laughs) (laughs) I really needed guidance, and I didn't get that. How come I couldn't have gotten that guidance when I first came up? But I just didn't have the guidance that I should have had. I had no support from anybody. I don't know if they were afraid because I was an ex-inmate, but nobody ever went out of their way to really help me. And I needed somebody. I really did. I really needed some help and some guidance considering where I came from, and I didn't get it. Just think if I had played baseball as a kid instead of running the streets. Just think if I had improved my baseball skills instead of going to prison. How good could I have been? Who knows? If I had gotten that guidance that I needed... If I had known that what was going on in society, I could have had some Hall of Fame stats. I, I think he's right. Yeah, he's definitely. Yeah, I think he's. If he right. had some some uh, a bit of structure in his like early days, rather than like having to run the streets. You well, know? and I, and, I, and, and I think I don't like I don't think it's necessarily you know the the Detroit's fault no because not everybody needs that by the especially by the time they get to the big leagues most people have have had that structure Mm -hmm. had that guidance yeah but with like you know the extenuating circumstances that they found this player you would think that but you would think that they would give this guy the extra help and guidance but as we've you know learned over 99 (laughs) episodes that they like really don't care they don't care they just just see you as a as a piece of and you're either going to work out or you're going to be cast aside. Um, but yeah, no, that's, I think, mean, I mean, I'm sure there's some, some racism built in there as well, but like at the same point, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think he's right. You know, just absolutely. If he had done it from a young age, he would have been a hall of famer. I was going to say like, uh, for those four years, at least when he was, you know, I guess staying relatively clean if he was or whatever yeah. was going on. But uh, the, the fact remains that for four years, those years in Detroit, uh, like he was on a Hall of Fame pace, yeah. you know, and it just showed how insanely gifted and how much raw talent he really had, and how you know improbable his journey to the major leagues was. Well, and at the same point, you know, gives you pause and gives you perspective, right, on incarcerated people. Like they're talented, mm-hmm. you know. They they probably just made some bad decisions. You know, just you know, decide to rob a bar after coming down off heroin. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Which just, I don't recommend. Just don't do that. But at the same condone. point, it's easy for us to say just don't do that when when you have that kind of uh, you know grow up in that different environment. But that's what I mean. Like is it it is it's wild how much he accomplished. But yeah, kind of. I thought we were gonna kind of end positively. No, <laughs> now I'm like no. no. He lost his leg. <laughs> yeah, and, like, no. uh, and he didn't pay his child support. And, but also, and, like, anyway. I think just the, the, the you know, looking at how, what could have been is yeah. also yeah. just something that, that's that's wild. So, I mean, thanks. Yeah, I, I, 
I knew Ron Lafleur was going to be an episode, but I had no memory of why he was going to be an episode. So, well, yeah, it's a story of Ron Lafleur who you know emerged from like a tragic family and you know made his way to the big leagues. Yeah. Oh, good. He, cool. Yeah. Good work, Ron. If you're listening. Uh, yeah. yeah. Way to go, Ron. <laughs> way to go. Um, and we got so many more story ideas coming. And we got we got hundred more. Hundred mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Hundred more. We're we're doing a hundred more. We're signing up for a hundred more. Uh, very excited to bring you episode 100 coming up. It's not going to be probably in two weeks. We're going to make it exciting. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we'll uh, let you know. We'll let you know. But thank you so much for listening. Uh, Ed, thanks so much for bringing us that story. That You're was welcome. awesome. And where can people find us? Well, you can find us on Twitter, at Doing Baseball, and on Instagram and TikTok, at Doing Baseball. And, of course, you've obviously found us on one of the listening platforms. So wherever you're finding us, give us a rating or review, and thanks for listening. Thanks so much. Thanks to Two Loons Brewing. Check them out, twoloonsbrewing.com. And until next time, I am Sean. And I'm Eds. And we are bringing you the baseball. Okay, bye. Bye. So over the next four years, oh wait, I already said that part. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Three, two, one, blah, blah, blah.